Welcome to the Zeal Interestings podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from this week. I'm your host, Chris White. My co-host this week is Randy Coleman. Welcome back to the podcast, Randy. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be back. Great, great. Uh, today, we're diving into Global Day of Code Retreat. It's a collaborative hackathon that's occurring in many cities around the globe on November 18. Randy, could you give us an overview of what Global Day of Code Retreat is all about? Yeah, Corey Haynes started this quite a while back. A code retreat was kind of a day of people getting together and practicing code. A lot of times, if you think of musical performers, they practice a lot and then perform rarely, whereas developers, we tend to perform all the time and never practice. And so this was a way of getting people some time to intentionally focus on honing their craft and getting better at what they do. Oh, that's interesting. I've never really thought about it from that angle, but throughout my software development career, it has been really all uh, performance and no practice. That's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, I think that's true of most of us. At some point, so he would do these as one-off events. At some point, he started what he calls Global Day of Code Retreat, where we coordinate around the globe and a lot of people host these events. And so on that one day, November 18th this year, there's code retreat events going on all around the globe. And it was kind of interesting when Corey started it, he would fly to Sydney, Australia, and he would kick off the first code retreat of the day. And then he would fly to Hawaii and kick off the last code retreat of the day, which I always thought was one of the best dateline hacks I'd ever heard of. Oh, that's brilliant. I love that so much. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty be, fascinating. If he had like a hypersonic jet, he could have like started every single code retreat. That's true. A lot of times the different code retreats will get on screen shares with each other and, and kind of do kind of a just to hang out together for a little bit. Like a global it gives you that, code that party. Feed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I really yeah. love that. It's pretty cool. So tell me more about how these events work. Like what's the format? What do you do? How long is it? It usually goes from 8.30 or 9 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon in your local time zone. And the format is you have five or six sessions throughout the day. And each session is 45 minutes long. And what you do is you pair program with somebody else at the event and you switch pairs for every session and you solve a relatively simple but complex enough programming problem, which is Conway's Game of Life, which if you're not familiar with it, it's a very simple set of rules controlling cells in a grid and cells can either spawn or die depending on how many neighbors they have or they, they might just stay where they are. And what happens with the, these very simple rules is you get fairly complex behavior coming out of that. And there's certain known patterns where you get these little gliders going across the screen, kind of spawning cells as they go along, or some very stable patterns to just kind of toggle between two states. And it's really kind of interesting how these really simple behavior can evolve. And so the idea of the code retreat is it's a, it's a simple exercise. You can explain the rules pretty quickly, but there's lots of different ways you can implement it. And that's kind of the point of the day is to explain explore different ways of implementing the same problem, almost like a code kata style. Nice. So it's it's like one of those great classic problems that like is very simple to explain, but the best solutions have to take a lot into account, like Rubik's Cubes or Sudokus or something like that. They can, yeah. This one, typically you're working on an infinite grid, which nothing in computers is actually infinite. So uh, you have okay. to figure out how you're going to handle that problem. That's an interesting but problem. it's really cool to... Yeah, it's really cool to watch how interesting behavior emerges from very simple rules. And it's, I mean, it's called Game of Life because in, in a sense, it's almost a model of, of how life happens, how it grows and how uh, civilizations can grow and, and shrink and things like that based on some very simple rules, potentially. Yeah, at the very least, it leads to some very interesting looking GIFs, right? Uh, absolutely, yeah. There's some really cool images you can see. <laughs> I remember... Years and years and years ago, I used to have a Sun workstation and one of the screensavers on there was essentially a game of life kind of thing, just a recording of it or something. It was kind of cool to watch the patterns go. In this code retreat, 
what is kind of the objectives of the retreat for individuals? Like what sort of things do people hope to learn when they go into this? Um, Like I said before, a lot of it is for practice, but what you do as the sessions go on, the first session is just to get familiar with the problem. Depending on whether you have a lot of newer developers, you might do two or three sessions where you just try the problem a few times to get used to it. But then the later sessions, what you start doing is adding different kinds of constraints. And there's a whole library of constraints you can choose from. Some are kind of fun, some are just nasty, um, but they're all they're all actually fun to, to try to basically make you think outside of your normal, your box. Gotcha. So, you know, you have a certain way you always solve problems, but if I take one of your tools away from you, then you have to improvise and come up with a new one. For example, one of the options is no if statements. You can't use any conditionals anywhere. Ooh. And that makes you think about different ways to do things or no loops or no method longer than five lines or three lines or whatever constraint you want to put on it. Yeah. And then there's also constraints you can put on the pair interactions. One I've seen done a couple of times is one called mute pair, which is you're not allowed to talk to each other while you're pairing. Oh, wow. And often that's combined with evil pair, which is one person writes a test and the other person has to make it pass in the most evil way they can. So what you're essentially trying to do is fence your collaborator in with your test and make them write the code that needs to be written instead of trying to get around what you're trying to do. Um, and when you combine those two, it's like you have somebody being really nasty to you and you can't say anything because you're not allowed to talk. That's awesome. So you like write a test that's make this return true. And so your code is like return true. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you can get pretty creative with that as well. That's really funny. That's really funny. Or you could like use a, if you have like an open-ended language like Ruby, you could just monkey patch everything to be true, right? That's true. That, that, that'll be funny. Yeah, you can have a lot of fun with it. But what's really cool is that the constraints really make you think about different ways of doing things than you normally do, rather than just writing code the same way you've always written it. And that's kind of the point is to really develop your skills and give yourself some new tools and new ways of doing things. Yeah, get that exposure. It definitely when you're kind of in the grind and especially if, you know, we have the benefit of pairing being an everyday practice for us, but a lot of developers may work inside kind of siloed environments and not have a lot of cross collaborations. So the ability to like see practices from another person, even down to just like how they use their editor and command line, like just being able to see those things I found teaches me a lot. That, and I take away a lot from pairing every day. So people don't get those experiences, then it's a great way to get those. For sure. Yeah. And typically, uh, I recommend when you're doing code retreat that you do test-driven development, which may be another practice that some people don't use day-to-day. And so it's something else they can experiment with. And the nice thing about the code retreat format is you 45 minutes, you explore the problem. It's not production code. You don't have to worry about breaking users somewhere. And Probably one of the constraints that bothers some people the most is you always have to delete your code at the end of the 45 minutes. Oh, wow. You can't keep your code. You can't check it into a Git repo. You can't do anything. You delete it at the end. And they're very adamant about that rule. And I think the idea behind that is to make it really clear this is an experiment. This is play. This is not work. This is not art. This isn't, it's, it's play. It's play. It's experiment to learn some new techniques. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's so frequent that you see a lot of repos on people's profiles of like partial coding retreats or partial like weekend experiments. And so the idea of just completely deleting that, sending it into the ether and not seeing it again, I feel like I would be really challenged by that. Like any like spike feels like it's valuable and and you could keep it going forward. So I I think that that's a, a really, really challenging part of the part of the format. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of hard. It's like, oh, I just want to have it work and I want to play with it some more. And nope, start over again. Right, right. That's awesome. And then, you know, because you're switching partners every time, like you can't necessarily even take your train of thought forward and say like, oh, 
partner from last time. Let's just do it this way, the way we did it before. Instead, you have to kind of reinsert yourself and create that rapport very quickly. And anytime I'm in like a group project kind of scenario, it's difficult to get that initial traction where everyone's on the same page and everyone's working towards the same goal. Uh, have you found that that's kind of a challenge in these these style of retreats? Um, it can be. There's definitely a little bit of like getting used to working with a new person at the beginning of each session. Um, 45 minutes is not a lot of time. You're not really expected to solve a whole problem in your 45 minutes. I think maybe one time I did. That was mostly because of my pair partner who'd done it a lot. And so had some really good ideas of where to go. But it, it was interesting. Gotcha. That is interesting. So another interesting thing is that it's not language specific, right? Right. Any programming language you want. Generally, it's recommended that one of the people in the pair has that language and environment for that language set up and ready to go. You don't want to spend your 45 minutes just getting set up to develop in a language. And it's not really intended to be a way of learning a new language because you really can't get very far if you don't know the language at all. Gotcha. But I've been to code retreats where, you know, there's people with a bunch of different languages and it's like, oh, I, you know, I've never tried closure before. I want to go try closure. And so you go pair with a closure person and get to see some closure. As long as the other person knows it well enough that you can kind of express your idea. Is it's a little harder when you're doing like mute pair, for example, because you can't actually talk and ask questions like, wow. how do I say this in the language? <laughs> you can't do that. So right. a lot the of times language, it's good uh, to be, expert might have to be the driver in that case. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times you want to stay on languages that you know, but if you know several languages, you can kind of have fun and try a bunch of different languages and, and see what they're about. Um, the couple of times I've been in a code retreat, I was actively developing small talk every day and everybody wanted to try small talk. So I ended up doing most of the code retreat in small talk just because I was the, the one small talker there and everybody said, I want to learn small talk. So that's awesome. Did a lot of that. You can kind of bring your own culture into it and, and spread it, which is something that's a process that's usually much slower. Like usually if you want to introduce a new language at your company, that's kind of a a long road. Yeah. Yeah. And especially having a non-threatening environment like this where you can just play and you know nothing's riding on it really other than you're learning. It's a great place to experiment with a new language. That's totally cool. And it seems like you can experiment with like different practices as well. Most of our languages that we use in production today are object oriented, but it can expose you to different formats, functional, imperative of style of coding that different people have in different languages, right? Yeah, for sure. A lot of the constraints are kind of geared towards object-oriented languages, but I don't think that's a requirement. I think you could do a functional language if you wanted or whatever, and you probably come up with some very interesting different solutions. The one that was always interesting with Smalltalk is when you get to the section about no conditionals, Smalltalk doesn't really have conditionals built into the language. They're part of the standard library and their methods on the Boolean class is true and false. Oh, interesting. And so you send a message like if true, if false to a Boolean and the true class implements it by evaluating the true block and the false class implements it by evaluating the false block. There's not really a conditional branching going on. Conditionals are done via polymorphism. And so that no conditionals constraint is pretty much naturally solved in Smalltalk without having to do anything special. That sounds like cheating to me, Randy. It kind of feels like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried to make it a little harder on myself when we were doing Smalltalk for that one. The, the one time I remember going through that, it was kind of fun, though. Yeah, yeah. So you've been doing code retreats for a while. Uh, how long have you been attending these? I've actually only been to two. One was probably back in 2011 or 12. There was a the Software Craftsmanship North America conference in Chicago. And the day after the conference, they had a code retreat day. And that was the first one I went to. And that was a blast. I had so much fun doing it. And then the second time I went to Ruby Decamp in DC, uh, which is about four years ago, 2013. And they did a code retreat there as well as one of the activities. And that was also fun. That was a much more new programmer heavy 
group of people. And so we tended to not do as many of the constraints, which I found a lot of fun the first time I did it. But when you have really new programmers, just learning how to solve the problem is is a big deal for them. Yep. And having an environment that's really welcoming and open to new people like that is really important because it gets people, you know, who knows what'll be the spark that lights the flame of, of their interest in software development. And so making it approachable and accessible for them is a big deal. So that's awesome. I was totally cool with that. But from a you know more experienced developer perspective, having to work with the constraints is a lot of fun. I don't want to get away from at least some of that. So there's challenge aplenty for everybody, no matter where you're coming in from or what language you're using or what you're interested in. That's cool. Exactly. And I mean, everybody's going to be a newbie in some language. So, you know, you pick a language that you don't know very well, pair with somebody who knows it, and you're the new person getting challenged. And that's totally awesome too. Yeah, that is awesome. So Zeal is hosting one of these, right? We are. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And just the, the way the scheduling has worked out, I'm either I'm speaking at RubyConf is often the same time. So one year I was speaking at RubyConf, so I couldn't facilitate it. And then last year we took our whole team to Software Craftsmanship Conference and there was a code retreat there that day. So we couldn't host it last year. This year it finally, everything worked out so we can finally host one. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it'll be our home office in Medford. Yeah. And they call it Global Day of Code Retreat because it's being hosted in so many different places. How hard is it to get involved and become a host or something like that? It's not actually that difficult. You go to coderetreat.org. We'll have a link in the show notes to that. And you sign up your event there. There's a whole bunch of guides for how to facilitate, how to host, what the kind of requirements are. The one big deal about Global Day of Code Retreat is a Code Retreat is free. Interesting. No charge to the attendees. So you need to get sponsors. Lunch is provided and they basically say no pizza. People are giving up their Saturdays to come and hang out with you. So give them a better catered meal than pizza. I mean, I love pizza. I'm fine with it. But yeah, I understand the, the sentiment. Some places will offer breakfast as well, depending on sponsors. And you just need a place with some good Wi-Fi and lots of room for people to work together. And the one thing they ask is that the facilitator of the event have been through a code retreat themselves. So they kind of get a sense of what it's about and they know what's going on, Yeah, which makes sense. You want that's sensible. You want it to be a good event for people. But other than that, it's not that hard to host. There's a site where it lists all the events around the, the world and you can go find an event in your area. And if there isn't one, then maybe you can pull together some sponsors and, and a facilitator and host it yourself. That sounds Incredible. So if you were to send a message to someone considering either hosting an event or even just joining an event, how would you encourage them to do it? I would just say if you care at all about getting better at what you do as a developer or you want to learn more about being a developer, come to a code retreat. Like having a a non-threatening environment to practice in where the stakes are really low. You know you're going to throw the code out. It's not going to affect somebody's life down the road. You're not going to put a bug in production with it. It's a great way to experiment and practice. Like I said at the beginning, you know, we tend to do all performing and no practicing and you can get better that way. I mean, you do anything over and over again, you get better, but having some time for focused practice and really like intentionally using different approaches and different techniques or having different constraints than what you don't really have really makes you come up with creative solutions. And you can bring that back to your day-to-day programming very quickly. You'll learn a technique in code retreat and it's like, oh, now I have a new way to look at a problem I was facing at work. And now I have a new tool in my toolbox to solve it with. I love that. I love the idea of tools in the toolbox because even if you're not new to software development, it seems like every time I work with someone new or pair with someone new through our clients or something like that, I always learn new things because different people bring different practices. And so it sounds like a code retreat is an opportunity to like immerse yourself in a rapidly evolving environment of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I find, I mean, I 
programmed in a lot of different languages over my lifetime. And I find that every language I learn uh, helps me solve problems a different way in the languages I already know. I've actually done a talk on that a few times couple, three years ago, that the way you do things in one language can give you insight into different ways of solving problems in another language. And the same thing can happen with the code retreat format because you have different constraints. You can be working in different languages and they will all give you basically more ideas and a wider design space to draw from when you're trying to solve hard problems in your day job. That's awesome. And I love that for people that are new to software development and are just learning that it's kind of a non-threatening environment. You know, hopefully everyone there is very friendly and free lunch. It's on a Saturday. So that's a day that's usually easier to get to. Yeah, I love that. I think the format is very well tweaked for new people and experienced people. Yeah, I think people have tried to do like an evening kind of format, but you can't get as many sessions in. And so you can't get as much variety at one time. You know, if you can only get two or three sessions in, then you can't introduce as many constraints. You can't solve the problems many different times. And so having an all day event on a Saturday, I think makes a big difference for that. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing about that, Randy. I think that spreading the news about this is a great thing to do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want more interestings, please sign up for our newsletter at codingzeal.com slash interestings or follow us on Twitter at CodingZeal. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.